The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International. This podcast is sponsored by GuardCloset.com, a resource to sell or buy used guard equipment and uniforms. Find out more at GuardCloset.com. I sent it to um, our tuba guy, Matt Stratton, and I said, Matt, take this in a room because he's a fine player. And just tell me, you know, is this is this even remotely playable or like to what degree are we going to have to round this off? You know, or like, do we try to sound like Jocko or do I take another path with it? So instead of doing that, he took our soloist Richard into a room and uh, with Olivia, who is we thought we the core didn't know any of this, by the way. This was all done covertly. (laughs) Uh, And and some people have disappeared since. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Another, Another story. But. So they sent us, they sent us back a video almost immediately, and Richard was already playing the tuba part. He basically he had, siren it, you know. Yeah, which and is, I, uh, know, I think it, it like Dean shared that video a couple of days ago or, or so. It's been circulating uh, from the early stage of that, but yeah, we just went in a room and I videoed those guys doing it, and Richard just sight read it, and we we're like, oh my, you know. Yeah. And, so it was like instant moment. DCI fans are loving the cool vibe and sound of the Blue Coats 2018 show session 44. On this podcast, I talk with Doug Thrower and Tom Rarick, the brass and percussion arrangers, about the music in the show and how the production was put together. You'll love hearing about the process of figuring out the selections to include and how to piece them together and pace the show for maximum effect. And we talk about that wonderful singer and the very cool front ensemble. It's a lot of experience, comfort level, I think, with just being, you know, emotive and kind of... You know, they're there's obviously still musicians first, but they're also a character in the show just by where they're put on the field. I think how they're costumed. Um, sure. And you know, so I, I think it it all contributes to the overall impression of the show. And I think that's something they were excited about. Um, well, it's something, something they are excited about as far as the, being on the field and kind of in the mix rather than you know push forward or to the side or you know less yeah. visible. Maybe than they have been in in the past couple of years. Get inside information about Session 44. Doug Thrower and Tom Rarick on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is sponsored by GuardCloset.com. GuardCloset.com is your resource for performing arts organizations to sell their used guard equipment and uniforms to raise funds for their programs. You can also save money for your program by purchasing these quality used items today. GuardCloset.com is populated with more than 1,000 sets of flags, guard uniforms, props, band uniforms, and floor coverings. Buy used, save money. Sell your gear, make money with GuardCloset.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Marching Roundtable Podcast. This is Tim and Thank you so much for listening. So excited to talk to these two gentlemen. Doug Thrower, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And Tom Rarick, how are you? Doing great, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Now, thank you guys for stopping. I know it's a very, very busy time. We're in the last two weeks of the DCI season, and everybody's busy getting ready for marching band season. So I appreciate you guys stopping to talk to me. Of course. Oh, no problem. So, all right. So I want to lead off like this. This is my favorite Blue Coat show of all time. And that's really saying a lot from me because I really love a lot of Blue Coat shows, but I, there is something about this show I just 
love every bit of it. I love the way it looks. I love the way it sounds. I love the way it's themed. I, I'm going to go on record and say I think this is the coolest, hippest drum corps show ever. Oh. And I think there's a lot of people in, in, in this. So I'm going to say that. I mean, this is I'm going on record here saying this. Why is right. aren't you judging? You should be judging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, I get, him a, get him a shirt immediately. Yeah, there we yeah. go. How do you yeah. look with white belt and <laughs> a clipboard? <laughs> I'm officially out of the world of judging. And so anyway, sorry, I can't help you there. But I do. I totally love it. And there's just like a vibe about it. I love the way it looks. I love the way it sounds. And I think a lot of it's in your hands. And Doug, I've told you this before. You know, like I feel like it sounds like drum corps. And that makes me really happy. <laughs> because sometimes it doesn't, you know, shows these days don't always look like drum corps, they don't feel like drum corps, but you're, it, you guys, it sounds like drum corps. I, I totally dig it. So first off, just thank you for doing such a great job. Thank you. Well, very kind. Very kind, Tim. Yeah, thanks. I mean, are you getting these kind of responses from anybody besides me? I know you are. I know the show is very popular. Are people telling you how much they like it, I'm sure? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, there's, a, there's certainly a positive reaction. I think it's, you know, it connects with with people on a on a visceral level with and kind of a, a little bit of nostalgia to it with some of the musical choices and the sounds and just, you know, so there's a lot to identify with for for anybody. I think really. So we're still well, kind I, of in the middle of it, so it's you know, yeah, it's, it's hard, hard to progress, and so it's difficult to step back from it and see, especially compared to other programs because we we don't have any distance from it yet so, i understand yeah well you're in the middle yeah. of it so sorry well i don't want to ask you to overanalyze all that but i just i, I just wanted you to know how much i love it i think it's such a great accomplishment and I, i'm just so happy every time i get to hear it so um it's the blue coats 44th production and the billy holiday recording session 44 is that where this came from did somebody research 44 and that's where you came there, or how did this all start? How did you end up with this, with this music? Well, we we talked about uh, like a session type idea for for a long time. Um, yeah. Different years, it, it always came up in kind of title discussions. Like, wouldn't that be a cool? I think it was Dean Westman had always had that kind of the so and so sessions or, or or something like that would be a cool way to kind of lump you know some musical choices together or that kind of thing. And I think in researching Billy Holiday, just like that. Session 44, you know, like being when Gobbles the Child was recorded, it just kind of, it had a ring to it kind of thing. And we didn't, honestly, I don't think a lot of this stuff kind of happened by happenstance, you know, like the the chairs, you know, and the upturned chairs, turn, like creating 44s, the, the fact that Billie Holiday was 44 when she died. We, we didn't, I didn't know that stuff. Yeah. The fact that it's we, the 44th season, I believe. Yeah, that, we didn't know that, that either. And I'm actually 44, so, you know, it's... You know, there, there's a lot of like a little. Lot of that is just, that's really just coincidence. Well, um, the, the season being our 44th, it's it's really our 46th season. Oh, but okay. Two of those we were inactive, so it was actually uh, uh, Mike Scott who pointed out to us that this was actually our 44th performance session, and that was absolutely pure fluke. Um, yeah, amazing. We didn't, know, we didn't know that when the show was titled. And the title came much later than you know the rest. The rest of the program it usually does. Yep. We usually uh, struggle over that <laughs> until the better end. So you had the idea of the sessions, and then that led you to this famous session with Billie Holiday. And did did was God bless the child a starting point? Really wasn't. No. Um, no. The uh, this 
the starting point was actually New Orleans. Um, John, I don't know if you've spoken to the visual guys already, but John went to New Orleans, I think towards the end of last summer, just to get away and made the suggestion that maybe we do our end of the year. Um, it's a kegger, but we call it a design meeting. <laughs> uh, Doug, is it design retreat? Design retreat, yes. exactly, yes. Yes. Uh, well, it, it's, kind of, um, it's kind of a debrief of the year before, but we do it at the end of every season on Labor Day to kind of get the ball rolling for the next year. And uh, uh, it, it's a really healthy time for us because we're usually in New York City or somewhere exciting. And uh, we have a lot of those uh, conversations that just happen over dinner or whatever, which I find are the usually where the best ideas, you know, kind of pop up. But um, sure. So John made the suggestion, maybe we do it in New Orleans. And uh, that was an easy sell for me. I love New Orleans. So um that's where we met and that was kind of the the genesis of the idea and kind of it started as i think john really wanted the show to be about musicians and the players themselves um we hadn't talked about billy holiday yet we had some songs in mind um but i don't think god bless the child was one of them in in the uh the first sketches we did i think what happened was um Correct me if I'm wrong there, Tom, but I think I, I think uh, Vince in one of our early audio kind of you know mashups, which we always start with just to get a sense of the pacing. I think Vince had dropped in a couple of really haunting little quotes from "God Bless the Child," yep. and uh, it kind of snowballed from there, and it became a through line. Uh, not quickly. I mean, it happened over the course of the writing season. Yep. Um, so that's how. God bless a child came to be part of the program. Wow, amazing. So the, the process to me is just really fascinating. People are always trying to figure out how to create great shows and they're trying to figure out how to create great shows like great teams like yourselves. So it's just interesting to me to ask these kind of questions, how the process worked out. Um, so you had some original sh music ideas. Those Some of those ended up in the show? Yeah. Um, the Bell and, Bell and Bird B flat that was a pretty early kind of like like a yeah. foothold and something that you know had immediate like relatability, I think to, to the activity. And then um, I think just kind of exploring you know kind of offshoots of you know where that genre pointed us kind of took us in the direction of the the Joni Mitchell stuff the the Dracula from Des Moines. Um, I guess uh, actually probably the first piece was Sorrow the the ballad like the the fourth section of the show. Um, it starts with the solo uh, about two thirds of the way through. That was something that was very early, like in our kind of Dropbox list of just tunes we think are cool and you know sound like us and would be something relatable uh, that way. So that kind of had a place uh, somewhere in the show. We knew it. I think the Bell and Bird provided a lot of the you know some of the more technical and aggressive and kind of you know variety things that that way, but still lived in that world. And then. Um, you know, the, the dry cleaner piece as a, as a production piece and a way to feature our vocalists that we kind of knew about, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. But um, those kind of created like the, I guess, the, the nucleus of the, of the show, like in terms of repertoire. And then we started kind of fitting things around at the Gobbles the Child thing. And there's like, oh, there's the Blood, Sweat and Tears version um, that you hear that kind of an ode to that at the rent uh, at the end of the show. Um, that came very late. Yeah, and also the the, Whit the Whitten Marcellus piece, uh, a home. It's from a uh, one of his 
large scale works. I forget the exact. Congo so, Square. Congo Square, yeah. Yeah. Which, which, we, which we, we actually actually stayed right next to Congo Square when we were in in uh, New Orleans too. So that was I don't know. It was that was that was an inspiring time for for all that kind of music to be talking about it. You know, at least in a direction that way. So, but but all that stuff didn't really have an order and didn't really have a structure. It was just all stuff we knew was in the pot and kind of we stirred around for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, it took us a while to get the horizontal because we kept. As, as hard as we try not to follow the horizontal at the beginning, we always end up somehow putting it into a logical order that satisfies our, you know, musical taste at least. Because we originally had home much earlier in the program. We flipped thing, we flip flopped things around a lot, especially the front yeah. half. We really worked on making that uh, pace properly. Yeah, but one of the home, one is, of the, home uh, is the part that starts with the trombone, like uh, the octet. Yeah. One of, the, one, one of the things about New Orleans was um, uh, because of the, the, the change to the costumes and the nature of the show two years ago, uh, this kind of visual spontaneity has evolved over the last few seasons. And it, it started in 2016, although we had to put guns to people's heads to get them to loosen up because they were dr such drum corps kids, right? You know, you in the beginning of the season, one of them had finish a solo and then stand there like they were guarding the royal palace it's like it's okay if you loosen up man it's okay you know well by the end of last year that was no problem the kids had totally bought into that kind of visual individuality and spontaneity and that, that was like a really i don't know if we foresaw it but it was a really cool byproduct of the costume change and taking the, the helmets off and all that other stuff so i think in new orleans we were hearing music that sounded like the way we look you know, and we we kind of um, we we wanted to try to tap into that kind of musical spontaneity. Uh, uh, nothing improvised yet, although we come close with the trombone moment. But just that kind of, I guess, looseness and spontaneity, and um, we're really drawn to that. And um, we we tried to build a little bit of that into the show this year. Well, that's really interesting. So when you're talking about having these pieces and then sort of rearranging them and stuff, is this like you're working on the actual arrangements and stuff and, and you're, you, you know, you have each piece sort of constructed or is this in the earlier planning times that you're moving things around? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. We wrote several different versions of, especially the Bird and Bella uh, piece. I think the way that that got paced out, I think, um, I'm not even sure. I think we originally had the fugue starting somewhere else, like the part two of the show, like it was towards the end. Or I, I, I even forget. It's been through so many machinations of just yeah. order and, and cuts and reordering of that. So, um, but yeah, I think just early in our process, we kind of went at sections. You know, we went at the things we knew we wanted to play. Didn't really know what order they were going to go in. Kind of had an idea about some things that felt like, you know, first half, you know, versus second half or middle kind of things. but um, I think the way we worked, we were able to get a little bit more music and kind of a context, I think, out a little bit sooner because I think, well, I, I kind of worked on the, the, the fugue part of the, of the show, like to, you know, through, through that. Doug was working on the, the intro, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, the, like the, the, the first part with the trumpet solely, all that stuff, and, and Bird and Bella, and Vince was kind of going at the intro and kind of had a, at least a good, you know, representation of what that could be as far as, a, as, far as the first half of the show, or at least up to where we introduced the singer. But within that, that went through 
just uh, as any team goes through, but just numerous cuts and reorderings and, and all that kind of thing. So it just took us a while to find it. We kind of knew the macro, we, but we wouldn't say struggled, but we <laughs> fought for the for the micro pretty hard, <laughs> I guess, through all that. To find yeah, it. and then the uh, the concept kind of started leading us about halfway through the process, where we thought, okay, home doesn't feel right here; it needs to go towards the end of the show. Um, yeah. Just, uh, you know, there were different uh, kind of signposts along the way that pointed us in the direction we took. Yeah. And as usual, we wrote, you know, a forty-minute production that we had to <laughs> start right. fighting over our favorite spots and. And that actually worked out pretty good. I, at one point, it looked like we were dealing with uh, some major surgery, but it, it, never, it never worked out that way, which was great. But um, yeah, didn't quite accomplish our goal of running a nine-minute show. And yeah, <laughs> but we do have the we do yeah. have the first four minutes written for next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're talking about needing major surgery, you're talking about sometimes you have to go in and really like take a whole chunk out or something that you're. It's, uh, that's going to be hard to decide what, like you said, you're sort of fighting for the parts you like, right? Yeah, well, yeah. with the new, the, the new rules, I mean, includes the setup and the, and, uh, and tear down, you know, of all your props and everything. And you have to build that in. So we, we had a moment in the process where we thought, oh, like we're not going to have enough time to do all of this. And it was looking like we were going to lose something important to the show, but it didn't work out that way. So, but, but having said that, it was a really, healthy conversation when we had to, you know, prioritize and, mm -hmm. and actually verbalize, you know, what it was that drew us to certain chunks of the show and why we felt it could succeed, you know, and why, why, it, why it needed to be there. So it was good for us to actually have to go through that. And, uh, and it worked out, you know, it worked out uh, that we had enough time anyway. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks awesome. to slave labor and setting up No, it's it's super cool. And it, the thing is that I, I love the pacing <laughs> of the show is really obviously you get it right, but um like the show seems to go by in, in like it's like two minutes, you know. And that's to me that's one of those signs of a great show. It's like, oh my god, that's that's over and where did it go? And I can't I want to hear it again right now, you know? Like it just seems to it just moves so nicely. And part of part of that is just the well, the whole way the thing the pieces are the transitions, it's all really smart. Um, you know, is, is it visually and musically. So let's talk about the singer. You knew that you had a singer up front? Uh, I don't know if we did. I, I I think John and Michael worked with her at uh was it Union High School? Yeah, Union High School yeah. in Tulsa. Yep. But I she got a featured uh, part. Uh, in their show this this past fall. Yeah, yeah. so we're always talking about yeah. her performance for sure. Yeah, yeah so they knew about her. they knew about her, but I I'm pretty sure it was John that pitched Des Moines, um, which I've been listening to since high school, shortly after the Civil War. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, we and I, I kind of dove into that when we were in uh, uh, before. Well, just after Christmas and thought, and believe me, the last thing any of us, I, I don't think Tom or Vince or I imagined we would use a vocalist this year because of all the pushback we heard last year, you know, and the scuttlebutt about that. It's like, huh, timing doesn't seem right for that, you know, but we didn't know about um, Olivia yet. So um, 
I think I actually tried to rough in a verse for, you know, a trumpet or mellophone and thought this is, this has got corners all over it. Like the only way we can do this is with a singer, you know? So, uh, you know, enter Olivia who happened to be auditioning for mellophone. Um, in really? Yeah. Yep. I don't know if that was at, uh, John's, uh, request or Michael's request, but, uh, she came to us and, um, uh, the story goes, I was in uh, uh, Mexico and um, I had found a really good lead sheet of Des Moines that included Jocko's, uh, a transcription of what Jocko played on the on the Mingus recording. Uh, the song's from an album called Mingus that Joni did in the 70s. And the bass player is Jocko Pastorius, who is a super band. Jocko's on it, Pat Metheny, Lyle Mays, Alex Acuna, and Wayne Shorter. So super oh, band. Yeah. Fantastic band. Wow. Uh, so I stumbled upon that and uh, um, I kind of just did a couple verses and I actually just inputted Jocko's part because it, it's a B flat blues. So it's like, okay, well, you're not going to get a better situation than that, better key to play in. So I, uh, I sent his actual part with the ghost notes and everything to uh, the January camp, which I wasn't at. But uh, I was there. Well, I asked, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I did point out that I was working, right? You heard that. <laughs> so anyway, and I, I just I sent it to um, our tuba guy, Matt Stratton, and I said, Matt, take this in a room because he's a fine player himself. And just tell me, you know, is this is this even remotely playable, or like, to what degree are we going to have to round this off? You know, or like, do we try to sound like Jocko, or do I, do I, you know, take another path with it? So instead of doing that, he took our soloist Richard into a room, and uh, with Olivia, who is we thought we the core didn't know any of this, by the way. This was all done covertly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and some people have disappeared since uh, <laughs> another, another story. Um, but so they sent, us, they sent us back a video almost immediately and Richard was already playing the tuba part. Um, okay. He basically yeah. sight read it, you know? Yeah. Which and is, it, uh, it, I think, it, I think it Dean shared that video a couple days ago or, or so. It's been circulating uh, from the early stage of that. But yeah, we just went in a room and I videoed those guys doing it and Richard just sight read it and we are like, oh my. Yeah. So it was like instant moment. So we thought if we can talk this girl into doing this. And at that point, you know, really, uh, our thing was that she's going to sing three verses and that's all you're going to see over the show. It's going to be like, you know, just very judicious use of that of that instrument. Mm -hmm. Um, It obviously evolved into much more than that. But um, yeah, that's how that that's how that went down. So he that kid is, you know, I wish I could take some credit for that bass part, but that's Jocko's actual part through the first two ver- uh, three verses of that too. So that's I still got paid for it, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, but like it doesn't surprise me that I'm hearing this story now because that like there's something so authentic about the way this all sounds coming off the field, you know? And so like you guys going to this sort of due diligence and and finding that, like that real, the real stuff, like that's the way it feels when I hear it. And of course the way she sings it. 
and not to get open up a hornet's rest, but I, a hornet's nest. But I do think that that you guys have like there's a way to use the singer and maybe a way less in, uh, productive way to use the singer or less successful. Way. But anyway, like her role and the way she's used is, you know, it's brilliant and it makes perfect sense. It just it, it seems like, of course, she has to be there. And that's the way that needs to be. And I probably shouldn't have said that, but that's clearly, you know, like it's like I can't, I, like you said, you can't imagine it without her. Yeah, because sure. it's so great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think that we could play the tune unless it, we had a female singer. Um, and so we got, you know, we were just we were really fortunate that Olivia came our way and um, she's she's done an awesome job and she's a she's a really sweet kid, too. She's a great kid. Yeah. And, you know, it's a <laughs> it hasn't been, you know, I don't think it's been particularly easy for her because uh, and and we were kind of on this early, but she doesn't have a section. You know, she doesn't have a horn player that that's going to pat her butt and say, hey, you can do this or she's she's an island, you know. So we, we kind of uh, during move ins. Uh, well, even before move ins, we kind of um, put her with the drum majors or they, they call themselves team hands. Um, and uh, and they kind of took her under their wing and because we thought maybe initially that she would do some conducting as well. But then she became a much more integral part of the show, like in no time. So, I mean, Dean tells a story about the first show, you know, all the new kids in the horn line or the new kids in the guard or drum line have somebody to say, okay, now we go to the equipment truck and get our stuff. And now we put our makeup on and now we go do our hair. Well, she didn't have anyone to do that. So <laughs> she was on her own that day. So we kind of, uh, you know, I just made sure that she had a couple of mentors and um, people to make sure that you know, she was staying healthy and happy and and she's really uh, she's done a great job for us. All the soloists have actually. Yep. They've, they've all been great. So so why I have this image in my head and you may not be willing to admit this, but I have this image in my head, Doug, of you having done that moment where the guys pick you up on the chair and you process across the field. Like have, have you tried that? I, I don't know. I can just see you doing that. It's I just that's like a Greek wedding thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something I would do, yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I asked you a couple of years ago if you'd gone down the slides and stuff, because I just seemed like you just seemed like the type. So I just well, wondered I if you would... I was the only designer that did at the end of the the, uh, the season when we yeah. all went up. That's because yeah. he has, cause he has uh, you know, health care. You know, yeah, I have health care, and somebody... <laughs> yeah, so... Somebody had put a rum and coke at the bottom of the slide. So I was the first guy <laughs> well, and, and, uh, I mean, we're talking about Olivia. She's obviously super talented, but like it, the stylization, it seems so natural. Like, did was she just get that? Or I mean, clearly she had somebody work with her or whatever. Like that, it just seems um, like, you know, like it's just pouring out of her like so naturally. No. And that's, kind of, that's hard. Yeah. She did a lot of listening. Like we, uh, early in the process, she obviously had a recording of Joni's version. And, uh, but I like the fact that she doesn't imitate Joni. I mean, she's singing it kind of her way. Yeah, and we did, uh, we did have, we have a couple really good vocal guys on staff, but we also got her some, uh, some private lessons um, over the internet. Um, through connections of Matt Stratton's our tuba guy, so and our co-caption head. But um, 
I think a lot of it was her her listening and kind of internalizing it too, and kind of really buying into it because yeah. we got some like vo- voice recordings of her like December January that were I mean pretty close. I mean it was she was doing a really good stylized you know job. It seemed like that style, particularly with the Joni Mitchell tune, really spoke to her. You know, it made sense to her from a stylistic yeah. standpoint. So so we we knew you it was also, uh, really possible right. at that point. You could hear early, like in the move-in process when, you know, the early sound checks, we got a good idea of she can hold pitch very well, like without accompaniment. And her time is also really solid. Yeah. She has a good sense of where the pulse should be and if it's too slow, too quick and how it affects her performance. So she's, she's pretty professional. You're such a young girl. And yeah, uh, yeah she's, uh, she, yeah, she's the real deal. I think she's planning on being a vocal major. So, um, I hope so. I mean, it's it's just it's such a highlight of the show, and like I said, um, sometimes you know the the we've all seen lots of shows with singers, and times sometimes you're like, why is this happening right now? But like if it's this show, it's like I'm so happy she's singing, and it's so perfect, and it, it makes me smile. So, Tom, I want to ask you: Are the guys in the front ensemble that pole pit group are they as super cool as they seem, or is it just the glasses and the outfits? Because like that's like the most badass group of guys <laughs> imaginable. At least that's the image that's coming off. Yeah, I mean, some of that's their personality too. They're just they're 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 a group that they've been together for the, the nucleus of them has been together for a while, so they're very comfortable, I think, and uh, with each other and kind of how they want to portray themselves as a section. Um, and from from their standpoint, um, they have a you know it's a lot of experience, comfort level. I think with just being you know, emotive and kind of, you know, they're there's obviously still musicians first, but they're also a character in the show just by where they're put on the field. I think how they're costumed. Um, sure. And, you know, so I, I think it, it all contributes to the overall impression of the show. And I think that's something they were excited about. Um, well, it's something they are excited about as far as the, being on the field and kind of in the mix rather than, you know, push forward or to the side or, you know, less yeah. visible. And then, Maybe than they have been in in the past couple of years, you know, just as we've tried different things and different setups and for for different reasons. But this was more of a obviously it's like a it's like a stage. You know, we have the you know front row keyboards, we have that kind of platform or the the the, the ramp stage kind of in between, and then it's kind of like those old kind of jazz orchestras, you know, with the the drum set and the timpani and you know that kind of thing in the back, like on a riser. So it's meant to kind of evoke some of that stuff, put them in a musical place, but also give them a platform to, you know to be part of the show from a, you know, a characterization standpoint as much as that's appropriate. But yeah. So, you know, that was things like that sometimes are tough sells for me too. I come from a different era and that kind of thing, but um, it's been fun working through that process and seeing how they can inform, you know, the overall show rather than just musically. I think they're happy to be a section again too, like to, to all be, you know, we, last year we had them pretty spread out pretty far and they kind of lost their identity as, as an entity. And this year, it's such a strong identity, I think, and they contribute, you know, at such a high level. I think they contribute. Very very organic way. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I think their contribution is huge to the the theme and the concept and the whole thing, you know, and and it's just, you know, I want to go hang out with them, you know, but. They they would love it, Tim. They would love it. They're they're good. good. (laughs) I don't know if I I I look that good in black. So you mentioned in passing a minute ago, Doug, you mentioned mellows. So like that first mellow lick, like that yeah. early, like. Yeah, that's, uh, 
that's actually from an American concerto, which is a work by Patrick Williams, again, from the 70s. And this, this is a record that a friend of mine, we were actually on a trip to North Texas, a high school band trip. And uh, she brought she bought the record, I think maybe down there or when we got home. She took a lesson down there and was given some recordings to listen to. One of them was uh, that recording, and it features Phil Woods, the uh, the alto, the bebop alto saxophonist. Mm. And man, we we wore that out. We wore that record out. Um, so that first lick is the based on his opening lick, which was improvised on the album. Um, of the third movement of that particular piece. That's a great, it's a great piece. And we kind of mashed that up with the Sebesky. We were kind of, when we did our initial audio file, we were kind of shocked by, by uh, the similarities. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, the Melophones are playing really well this year. And um, it was kind of an opportunity, uh, just sits in the right part of the horn. It was an opportunity to kind of feature them right away. So, and set the tone, just kind of set the bebop tone for the next two minutes. So, yep. yeah, no, that's a great point. And of course, you know, Johnny, Johnny's just staged it obviously in such an interesting way, you know, instead of, you know, just standing them there, it's, it's the way it ties into the kind of sur surreal chairs, the bigger chairs. And, um, and then there's also Harmon mute and the, the string stuff, uh, the, the keyboard stuff's kind of based on the string stuff from that recording. So that's that's a great moment, and I think what, part of what makes it great is that you expect us to go blah right there, and we don't. You know, we have that big build up, and then we kind of turn around and do something different. Yeah, that's what's so fantastic. No, that's what's so fantastic. It's such a great start to a show, and it's it's like it does it sets the tone is a perfect phrase for that. Like everything about the way, like you said, the way it looks, the way it's staged, the way they're playing, the guy sitting. I was I was in Atlanta, and the guy that you did that. That exactly what you just described the 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 horns come up they look like they're about they're in the front they're about to play the big thing then they break off and him and the guy next to me just bursts out laughing he just oh, yeah. he had oh, he loved it he was just laughing, 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 laughing and i was like man this show like you know you had him right there you right, know and right. so that's that's my experience to sit in the audience it's like everybody's like leaning in like wow this is you got my attention and people are having a good time you know, and I, I, that's the thing I love about this show is that people are having, I'm having fun, but everybody around me is having fun too. You know, when the girls start singing and you see people around you moving and I'm like, this is every drum course show should be like this. You know, this is what I'm thinking. You know, this is what you want the show to be. You know, I think it's great. It's funny because the, the, the second portion of the show is actually really rather dark when you listen to it, like the back part of it. And, and I think I was concerned about that, but I think it's the way it's paced. And I think part of what makes Des Moines work, and this was part of the early uh, audio file when I wasn't sure about Des Moines yet, that's for sure. But hearing it placed against that darker material that was kind of based on a fictional meeting with Bartok and Charlie Parker, um, it really, that, that spoke to me, that contrast that we could follow that darkness with Des Moines. I thought, okay, what a perfect way to do it if we're gonna do it, you know? Um, so that's that's one of my favorite parts of the show is those the collision of those two different ideas. Yeah, it's probably the most like drum corps, quote unquote, moment of the show. You know, just the, just it's fast, real dissonant, you know, uh, sounds and that kind of thing. And then you're met with maybe the biggest surprise of the show is the reveal of the the voice and the likeness and the style. Um, couldn't be more different, I think, you know, with those. And that's 
it's always a nice, even now it's still a nice surprising contrast as well as I know the show. So. Yeah, I mean, like those of us that try to design shows, this is like, you need, we need to study this, you know, like it really works, it's really well done, it's really well paced. Um, yeah, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm really loving it. So I, I love that you guys are describing this and the process you went through. Um, so of course that God bless the child swing hit at the end is such a big wow. And like when I first heard you guys were playing, that song was part of your show. Like that's what I, that's what I was like. I can't wait to hear that. So yeah. I love that you, you make me wait until like it right at the end and then there it is. And to me, that was so satisfying because that's such a great musical moment into, into itself, much less mm -hmm. at that moment in the show. That's part of the reason the home material got moved towards the end because it sets it up in terms of uh, feel and pulse and, you know, we kind of set a bit more of a, I don't want to use the word dated, but a little bit more, I guess, dated with the, you know, the plungers and the, uh, the muted trombone. Um, it kind of just sets the tone for what's to follow. And I think, you know, you can't dismiss the familiarity of it. You know, that's probably the most famous cover. It's probably more famous than the original uh, recording, you know. Um, yeah. So that's something that we thought, we talked pretty early about including, you know, some of that. Um, but it, uh, that turned out pretty good. And the way home flows into it, I think, is really kind of cool, too. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of iconic, I guess, you know, that, that, that the, yeah. those, the uh, blood, sweat, and tears licks. Well, I was really happy to hear it. Like to me, I was, I was like, there it is. I wanted to hear it. You gave it to me right at the right moment. And I guess you went back and you added a second, a second time. Like did, did somebody say, let's have more or did you that think, was, you know, well, sorry, that was always part of our original version. Um, yeah. Actually, we, we learned that that version in, in May and um, we got to a certain point where we were putting the end of the show on the field, you know, like we before, you know, the first show, that kind of thing. And it was, you know, maybe we got to save this, you know, because, you know, like logistically speaking, I think visually, I think where we, the, the plan for the chairs and where the, the core would end up on the chairs, the kind of thing. There's, once you do that, there's nowhere to go, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. So we kind of had the idea what the music said and we thought the music was, was right, I think. And so at that point, we just kind of had a, we had an abbreviated version kind of stop at a certain point just to kind of save, you know, that extension, another appearance of Olivia, kind of a realization of, of her role. And then, you know, kind of knock you down another time with the 12-8. The so that was right. always a little, I mean, no, different than our instincts, I guess, to end kind of slow, you know, down and dirty 12-8. Is it 64 beats a minute, Doug? Like 12-8? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's, it's slow and it's different and it, you know, but it, it's one of those things that just feels like the show. It would be somewhat dishonest, I think, to do, you know, the coolest, fastest drill move ever at the end of a, show like we've we've done that's been kind of unique at every turn to that point so it's one of those kind of commitments we had to make to that style and just how we how strongly we felt about how that music could connect with the audience and and feel honest like we kind of yeah. thought like what would it be like to end a show the way we ended great gig two years ago you know is that doable yeah. or do we have to run around like our pants are on fire at the end of every drum course show i'm glad we didn't do that because it would have been really easy to do but but yeah, everything, our guts just said, now we got to, you know, let's. Yeah, we kind of leaned, leaned into every other impulse, you know, that we had stylistically, I think that way. So I think it was more just feeling confident that moving forward. You know? 
Well, and I, and the kids, I think that I mean, the kids enjoy performing it. It's so obvious, you know. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. We did a thing. Uh, we did a thing in Little Rock where we uh, we had just put the the extended version on again, and the horn guys were working in small groups, and uh, eventually, you know, so it was half the horn line performing for the other half, kind of thing, and just there seeing them react to each other was one of the highlights of my summer you know because when you're in the middle of it you don't really you have to step outside and take a look and go oh my gosh like i'm part of something pretty cool you know and uh seeing their reaction i'm glad i was there for that um i think the air conditioning must have been off in my trailer so i went had to go for a walk and there they were <laughs> no it was really a special moment and uh you, that's one of the spots where you can tell the kids are loving what they're doing and i think I think an audience can sense that, you know, and uh, that comes back at you, you know, because yep. it's honest. Uh, listen, I always say that you, I can, I can tell in an instant if a group loves their show and is happy, you know, and, and that's what I get from you guys. You know, I'm getting a lot of that this year from drum Corps actually, but mm -hmm. I feel like you guys for sure in your show, you know, like I, they're, they seem to be having as much fun than, as I am or more, I'm surely. So anyway, I, and I love that you, you trusted that sort of huge iconic musical moment to carry it. Cause it does, in my opinion, you know, like it's, I, I'm glad that you did that. People seem to like it. And I think, I mean, obviously you can't do 10 minutes of that. I mean, there's gotta be balance in the show. And, um, and I, you know, I think, you look at the front half of the show and you can see, you know, the balance, but, um, yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. Well, the, those are my questions. Any, anything else about the show or the way it was put together or the music you guys wanted to mention before we end? Is there anything we haven't talked about? I don't, I don't think so. I should mention that Patrick Williams actually just passed away this last couple of weeks. Yeah. The guy that wrote the American concerto. Oh, He's also responsible for um, a Threshold album, and uh, he did a, some uh, Sinatra stuff. And great musician, great, uh, great writer. Yeah, cool. Well, guys, I think you've done such a fantastic job. I, I, I so appreciate the show. I so enjoy it. I, I think it's a huge accomplishment. You know, I, I keep using that oh, word. Nice. It sounds it sounds wrong to talk about that, but anyway, that's what I keep telling people. It's like, wow, what an accomplishment that is! Like, it just feels like all everything is is working. Like, I love the way it looks. I love the way it sounds. You know, like I said, I want to hang out with the pit guys. Like the whole thing. You know, like I, I just I think it's really cool. It's certainly the, a very very cool show. So this is this is one of those you. ones where it's hard to let go of. You know, you know it's coming yeah. and. Uh, a lot yeah. of work went into it and, and 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 you know we're a tight group you know so it it's uh it's a reflection of that and i always compare the end of the drum course season like taking down a christmas tree you know it's you, you know it's time to move on but there's that kind of melancholy attached with it you know because you're also leaving something special behind and that's i think we're going to feel that next week i know the kids will yeah absolutely no doubt well good luck with the end of everything um, and thanks again for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank, thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks, we'll Tim. See you if you find our podcasts helpful, share it with a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy them. 
Anyone can hear our podcasts on iTunes, on our mobile app, or at our website at marchingroundtable.com. When at the website, search for other podcasts that interest you, including more about the Blue Coats and DCI, from over 700 releases available now in our podcast archives at marchingroundtable.com. Keep up with podcasts being released and guests we're talking to by following the Marching Roundtable on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And join our new Marching Roundtable Facebook group, where we're having fun discussions and supporting each other in the marching arts. Search for the Marching Roundtable in Facebook groups. And you can receive our bi-weekly newsletter by signing up for a free VIP membership at marchingroundtable.com. And we encourage you to learn from the marching arts professionals with great videos and live webinars available now at marchingartseducation.com. This includes the new course where you and your staff can learn how to create and program more successful shows. Learn from Scott Chandler, the man behind all of those amazing shows by the Blue Devils. Find that course at marchingartseducation.com. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, GuardCloset.com, found at GuardCloset.com. We hope you support the podcast on our Patreon page, where for as little as $2 a month, you can get special short podcasts with John Bogenschutz of Tone Deaf Comics. Find out more at patreon.com slash marchingroundtable. This is your host, Tim Hinton. I hope you'll visit my website at timhinton.com and see the almost 100 marching shows available there. I write shows that are tuneful and educational with something for students of every experience level. timhinton.com If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should consider sponsoring an episode of the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach, and with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast. Thanks.